what she taught me is what I'm learning in my psychology classes. So what are, what's, what's, can you tell us what a fixed mindset is? A fixed mindset is where you make mistakes and just give up after it, you think it's just too hard. So you, you make a mistake, you don't learn from it, right? Yeah. What's, and what's the other one called? Growth mindset. What's a growth mindset? A growth mindset is when you make mistakes and learn from them. High five. <laughs> and I wanted to her to share that because what we're doing is the books that we looked at in the Bible that were kind of banned and hidden, that was a mistake that the early church made. And they, all the scholars who've re-looked at the books said they should be considered just as legitimate or highly legitimate. At least let's look at them instead of continuing to make the mistake of banning them. That's what all of the modern scholars say, that they're not heretical books. That was just the early church being the early church. They have a fixed mindset, right? Churches are really good at being fixed mindsetted. You set something up in one place, it will be fixed there forever as if God put it there. But sometimes you got to move. Sometimes you got to change. You got to adapt. And somebody who was talking about this a hundred years ago was Carl Jung. Today I'm going to be talking about Carl Jung and Christianity. We're going to do a whole series. So the first thing you're going to ask is, Sean, why are you introducing us to Carl Jung? Carl Jung, J-U-N-G. So you probably heard this name. Anya came, and I've heard a couple of other people say they, this is a series they want to hear. So this whole time, why am I talking about Carl Jung? Because this whole time I've been introducing him to us, in a way, by looking at the Gnostic text. He actually bought, the Young Foundation bought some of the Nag Hammadi texts because they thought, wow, this is a repressed memory from Christianity. This is a hidden memory that they tucked away and now it's come to the surface. So I've been introducing the forgotten side of Christianity the unconscious part of Christianity that existed in our tradition but was never addressed. Max said, this is, he doesn't know a single church who's done a whole series on what we've done here. For a long time it's been ignored and I brought it to the surface by fully exploring it. We were all able to see, right? We all looked at it for ourselves that despite what had been said, oh, that's even in seminary, those books, they said, don't look at those books. Even though what was said about them, when we looked at them for ourselves, we saw that they were not false teachings, but rather just different perspectives on what Christianity was before the Orthodox Church came along and said, this is the only way that you should do things. They had a certain vision of Christ, a certain a vision of what Christ should represent for people back in a day. There was a lot of battling going on. If you didn't conform, guess what happened? You got excommunicated. They did that to a lot of people. Even the people who wrote against the Gnostic text, they eventually got kicked out as heretics too. So they were just doing it to everybody. They were battling over the precise, correct, true, and authoritative interpretation of Jesus Christ. 
But we now know that there were different perspectives. And many of them actually make the gospel more whole when we look at them. The text that we looked at filled in a lot of gaps. We saw women like Mary. Remember when we did the, the that's the number one podcast that I had, that, that's there. The Gospel of Mary series. We saw when we looked at the text itself that women had a leadership role early on in the church. But then we saw how it was removed from the canon. We saw that the miracles were parables. They're not meant to be taken literally. I can't split the ocean. You've, have you, has anybody ever seen anybody walk on water? But Jesus was talking parabolic, metaphorically. We learned that Christ didn't come to just save the world from sin by dying on a cross. Oh, God loves me so much he has to kill his son. Does that, does that sound a little harsh, right? But we learned that Jesus rather came to give us wisdom about how to live a true and authentic life even when religion is telling you another thing. I once went to a church where they said our mission was to be radical disciples. That's, that's what their web page said. We're radical disciples. And it made me think, was radical coming to church once a week? Four hours a month? 48 hours a year? Two days of church a year was radical? And for what purpose? What are, to sing three songs and hear a sermon? Is that radical? That didn't sound radical to me. Radical to me involves a huge commitment. But when we tie what we've learned about Christ together, the Gnostics and the traditional canon, when you take it all together, we learn what Jesus was really teaching, a whole picture. It was a radical call to understand who we are ourselves, what we are, what we're doing here. And that's a full-time radical undertaking. This is where Carl Jung comes in. Carl Jung was born into Christianity 100 years ago, approximately. He was the son of a minister. His father, his uncles, his grandfathers, all were Swiss Reformed Protestants who served in churches. Carl Jung would have grown up here in the parsonage. He grew up in, the, in Switzerland at a parsonage in Basel. He went through all of the rituals, rites, and passages that a Christian is expected to go through. But Jung was a thinker. And early on, he often questioned what all of this church stuff meant. And it was when Jung was working through his confirmation class that he started to wonder, what is Christianity really getting at? He knew that confirmation was a big deal. And so he describes the boring catechism classes he had to take as maybe this is like a hazing, like I got to suffer these boring classes as a rite of passage. It was just something he had to go through in order to get ready for the final moment when he would go up before the church and be given the first meal, the communion meal of Christ. He said that he thought something magical, something mystical was going to happen when he took the body of Christ and ate it, when he drank the blood of Christ. But when he did, he ate it, he drank. And guess what happened? Nothing. He actually pitied his father at this point for the rest of his life. He said, 
the church talks about all these things in the Bible, but I never see it happen in real life. The church doesn't deliver. I've seen this happen at our church here also. You might have seen me. This was a bold move on my part this one Sunday. I have confirmed kids and walked them through confirmation classes, and I try my best not to make them boring. But the big moment for them is that final confirmation day when they take the communion and become part of the church family of Christ. And it was one year, one year, that before announcing our next confirmation class, because this started to bother me, that I stated from the pulpit, will those who were confirmed 10 years ago please stand up? Nobody stood up. I said, how about five years ago? Nobody stood up. Three years? One year? One kid was there, and I begged them to come. This, for me, demonstrated a failure. See, I had a fixed mindset, right? That's what the church just keep doing the confirmation classes. But what if nobody comes for 10 years? Nobody comes back. You've got to have a growth mindset, right, Molly? Thank you. Amen. That's, that's what they... The church is suffering a massive decline. And we keep... You know, in our council meetings, right, Steve? We all, we all talk about how to get people to come to church. The church is suffering massive decline. And when I came across the stories of Carl Jung, he was saying the same thing. He was saying this is going to get worse a hundred years ago. And I could hear somebody speaking to me directly as if he was here with us right now. Carl Jung didn't give up on Christianity, but instead he sought to get to the root of the problem as to why it's failing to serve as a source of meaning and purpose for our kids, for young people, and even older people in our modern day. Carl Jung went on to become a world-renowned doctor. He didn't need to do this. He was actually putting himself in risk when he had started addressing Christian issues, church issues. He was a world-renowned doctor, a psychologist working at the Burgos, one of the top hospitals in the, in, the, in the world. He had reached the top of the medical field. And it was later in his life that he turned his attention toward the problem of Christianity. Why was it losing its place of influence in society in the 20th and now 21st century? His conclusions led him to the obvious questions that I myself wondered. What happened to the personal experience of God? When you read the Bible, I've prayed this. How come you talk to them, God? And how come I can only read stories about people who've heard from you? How come you don't do the things that you said in the Bible today? I don't see it ever happening. Where was God's voice speaking to me, to you, in our, and in our world? Where's God right now? I see churches doing healing services, and I'm like, there's a pandemic. Do the healing. Right. Why was the Bible so out of touch with our modern culture as it often has been the instrument used Here's the thing. The Bible has often been the instrument used to hold back advancements in society. From women's rights to the acceptance of different, or, uh, different sexual orientations to racism and 
you talk, go read up on Galileo and Copernicus. They'll tell, they got kicked out of the church because they said the sun was the center of the universe, of, of our of Milky Way, whatever, galaxy. I'm a theologian, not a scientist. It sometimes feels like the Bible was this book locked in time, and for us to move forward, we have to leave it behind. There it is, right there. Everybody has them, but I wonder how many people read it. And they don't read it. Not, I, don't feel bad that you don't read it. It hasn't been explained in a modern way. That's, what, that's the problem I labor over every week. How can we make this relevant again? Didn't Jesus come to reimagine Judaism? He led the way. He showed us. But to do that, you might get in trouble. So we put that cross up there to remind you what happens when you try to change religions. See, sometimes when we move away from the Bible, we still feel the guilt and shame. Even people who are atheists, sometimes they go, why are you an atheist? Why do you declare that? I thought you don't believe in God. Why are you telling me that you don't believe in God? It, they still are holding on to something. Young also addressed the idea that God is good. So I'm now going to talk about something nobody has ever talked about in church. Where is God when it comes to evil? Often we assign all the deeds of darkness to the devil. We blame him. If it's good, where does, what, what, it goes on God's, right? But if it's bad, where, who do we blame? Poor devil, right? <laughs> devil made me do it. Why would God allow a dark demon to exist and keep doing this. Just get rid of the devil. <laughs> Who created that guy? We all know the answer. But we don't dare say it. If you have a good kid and a bad kid. They came from somebody. <laughs> Why does God allow evil? Jung wrote that it was a fascinating thing to observe. The person who looks out at the landscape of a beautiful day and thanks God. Oh, what a beautiful day. It's my birthday. The sun is out. The birds are singing. Thank you, God. But when you see hurricanes and storms, earthquakes, Haiti gets devastated, that must be from the devil, right? Young refused to do this. He believed that all of this came from God. And that we just didn't want to see it. It was like a blind spot. You know, my wife one day commented, Oh, you're so spiritual, Sean. And I wake up and I have like a little yoga mat and I meditate. And she'll catch me, you know, who reads the Bible? So, you know, you catch somebody reading the Bible. It's like, wow. And she said, you're such a holy and good guy. And I said, thank you, but Ashley... That's like if that's what you'd say at the funeral. Because <laughs> half the time I'm yelling. I'm very impatient. I want things, right, Molly? Dad's 50-50, right? <laughs> it's hard to live out the things I preach. She had an image of me, just like we have an image of God, but just in part. I've been to a lot of funerals. I do the funerals. 
And I see everybody praising the person. And then there's always... Dad was a good guy most of the, you know, half the time. <laughs> it's hard to admit the dark sides. Young believed that God had a good side and a dark side. Whose image are we created in? In many churches, when you first come, they always say, Oh, welcome to church. Here's the Gospel of John. Read this. It's going to tell you about the life of Jesus. It's a nice place to start. You could read all about the wonderful person of Jesus Christ and how he was filled with mercy and grace and laid his life down for others. You can read Philippians where it says, uh, although he was God, he didn't equate himself with God, but made himself a servant so that you could see, experience what God is truly like. But if you read the books before John, <laughs> the Old Testament, you won't find a God like this. Young's favorite book, does anybody know what it was? Job. And he thought that this book conveyed the fullness. Pat Knight said in a council meeting one time, how come we don't preach from Job? Next week I did it. And it messed me up. <laughs> if you want to understand the fullness of God, go read the book of Job. This was the book that Carl Jung said will show you what God is like. A God who would allow the righteous to suffer, the corrupt to prosper, and express that we're just mortals who don't fully understand what's really going on in this world and the realms thereafter. After Job lost his whole family for no other reason than just to test his faith, God answers Job's plea with this. Who are you, O oh man, to talk to me? Job 37. He basically reams Job out. <laughs> Young saw the Bible as a psychological drama that was the collective gathering of people's handed down beliefs about God. And he saw that people had blind spots when it came to God. Things they didn't want to accept about their Heavenly Father. God was loved, but God also had outbursts of anger. And it's not hidden in the text. Open up Genesis 1 through 6. You'll see his kids getting kicked out of the garden. And by chapter 6, he floods the whole earth and kills everything. That's the Bible right there. That's the start. There's something quite terrifying. Whenever I get into it with God, I do often. I'll, I'll yell at God. And I'm immediately humbled when his presence comes in the room. I say, I'm sorry. I just don't understand what's going on. His presence is terrifying. But it's also calming. The church sometimes refuses to address these inconsistencies. Instead, they paint God as this benevolent ru ruler from above who tries his best to help. But when your child has autism, when your child is struggling in school, when your loved one dies or you get sick, 
somebody suffering from an addiction, when there's a pandemic going on, when we're all wearing masks, we have to get a vaccine again. Does anybody say, where is God? Where did this guy go? Today I wanted to give you a taste, the appetizer for this series that we're going to explore as we look at Young's approach to God. Young's going to lead us to ask all the questions that we never want to ask. We're not going to leave anything out. Young's going to treat Christianity like a sick patient in need of help. And in doing so, what happens when you go to the therapist? What are you hoping for? You'll get better. So maybe we'll get a full picture of the God we desire to know and not just see half one side of God. Some people really hate God. Do you know that? If you even mention God, they go, oh, my, hair, my barber said, oh, I'd love to come to your church, but I'd catch on fire. Who told him that? He must have had an experience with God that I didn't have by diving into these questions. Why does he feel that way? I bet he's been abandoned by God. Maybe he was. Why? If we do this, Young was talking about what's going on in our church already, a hundred years ago. We'll get to the bottom of why Christianity is losing ground. You know, every year we always, if we do this program, if we do this activity, if we invite the, we do that every year, and it just that's the definition of crazy. <laughs> we have to reimagine this, rethink it, and it starts by getting to the very root, to the very core of the problem, which is this: Christianity's language is outdated. It needs to be updated. Like your phone. If you don't update your phone, what happens? It starts not working. All you have to do is turn the phone off, let it update, it starts over, and then what happens? It's working. But there's some changes. There's some different ways. Say, I could still text, but the text, now, now you have to do this instead of that. It's the same thing but you've just changed the way you do it. So we're going to take Christianity and find new meanings and expressions after we investigate it all. So I know I likely dropped a few bombs here today. <laughs> Having said things that pastors don't typically say, I think Young would be like, wow, finally. <laughs> but I think it's time to stop trying to recruit people to come to church. They, they're not interested. There's like 10 churches on this block. There's no doubt about it that there's church here. They're not interested. I think it's time we, the people who've already come here, get in fully informed about where we have come from and where we're going as a faith. Who is Jesus? By asking the tough questions, by digging and investigating, I believe the result will be a positive experience. I've been through psychoanalysis. I've been through therapy. It hurts. It hurts to be honest with yourself. But guess what happens once you do? 
you can start changing. Beautiful things. And Christianity is just like Carl Jung said it. They're a sick patient. And I want to take them in and lay them on the couch and talk everything out with them. Once we do this, we'll see for ourselves if this is really what we believe. And if we really believe it, I won't have to ask any of you to invite a friend to church. We had a baby. Did you have to ask me if I had a baby? I told you because it's good news. You don't have to force people or beg people to share good news. If there's a good diner in town, what do you do? Oh, you got to go get their ribs. If people aren't excited about the gospel for themselves, don't tell them to go tell their friends. They won't. If there's gold, you ever see those, those uh, mines out in like the West? If there's gold, people will move from where they're at and go there. They'll leave everything behind. There's gold in Christianity, but it's gotten so covered up in religiosity that we're going to scrape all that off and get to the heart of what it really is. I've looked into this myself, and I believe we'll find what the Gospel of Thomas, that text we looked at, uh, said is to be true. That if we seek and do not stop seeking until we find, that when we find God, you will be troubled. But that when you're troubled, you will eventually marvel and rule overall. This was our introductory message in this new series we're about to embark on called Young in Christianity. And I hope it will make us think and consider our faith in new and marvelous ways as we wrestle with the questions we have long put off to the side.